For the next 15 seconds, picture yourself in a small town. Historic buildings with galleries, restaurants, micro distilleries, forested ridgelines on the horizon, wide alpine meadows, evergreen forests threaded with trails, friendly locals eager to guide you. And if you're not quite ready to leave this fantasy, chances are you're our kind. And you should check out visitparkcity.com right away. Park City, Utah, for the mountain kind. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, ladies and gentlemen, the leader of the Ban the Van movement. He is the captain. If I see you creeping, you better believe I'll be repoing. Repoing your van, that is. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, oh yeah, we are drinking Brew Free or Die Blood Orange IPA by 21st Amendment Brewery. Garage grade, trumpets please, five out of five bottle caps. This is a fantastic beer. It's got some good weight to it, and about a half a glass will warm you up nicely. The Blood Orange is up front, and it cuts through the bitterness of the IPA perfectly. And this week's beer was brought to us by, first up, we have Jonathan in Ottawa, Canada. And a big shout out to Heather in Pendle, Pennsylvania. And a really big thank you to Michael, Alex, and family up in Ontario, Canada. And a big shout out to Nicole in Omaha, Nebraska. And a huge thank you to Stella in Midlothian, Virginia, who says, <laughs> who says we are like the boondock saints of the airwaves. And last but not least, we have Jenny from Chicago. Jenny from the block from old Chicago. All right, Captain. Thanks to everybody for going to truecrimegarage.com and clicking on the beer donations. And you're running out of time to ban the van. Go to truecrimegarage.com. Click on the storage page. Order your ban the van shirt. They're going fast. Some of the sizes probably are already sold out. All right. That's enough of the business. Everybody gather around. Grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Whatever happened should never have happened at all. Two smart and hardworking young women had a goal, a dream, to travel over the ocean to another country 
and volunteer their time and efforts, helping some of that country's youth. But as soon as they arrived, so far from their home, things were not as planned. Instead of teaching, they were left with too much time on their hands. So, they were free to roam a foreign town and the surrounding areas. Plans aside, they decided to embark on a little adventure. Spending a day dedicated to a long, touristy hike into the jungle. But something out there happened. Something unexpected. In life, we often choose our own adventures. But after we set out, we are not always in control. What happened to the two women who set out for a hike in the jungle? What can we learn from the phone calls they made? And what can we make of the mysterious photographs they left behind? Welcome to another episode of True Crime Garage. This is the strange case of the Dutch hikers and missing photo 509. Chris Kramer's age 21. She's a blue-eyed redhead with an outgoing personality and a strong sense of fun. Chris enjoyed acting and planned to attend graduate school for art history in the fall of 2014. Chris met her flatmate, Lizanne Froon, age 22, a six-foot-tall athlete, when the two worked in a cafe in the city of Amsfurt in their native country of the Netherlands. Lizanne played volleyball in college and was into more extreme sports like skydiving, alpine skiing, and mountaineering. Lizanne majored in applied psychology and enjoyed photography. In early 2014, the two were on break from their studies and enrolled in a program providing volunteer social workers for children in Panama. The two saved their money for six months to pay for the trip. Both took a crash course in Spanish. It is not believed that either of them had ever traveled to Panama before. On this trip, they spent two weeks traveling the country before heading to the town where the school where they were to work is located. So Chris and Lizanne arrive in the town of Bocate, but the two had a rude awakening. Due to some kind of mix-up, the program was not to commence for another week. According to Chris's diary, the assistant director of the school was not very nice about the situation. She wrote that he or she was rude and unfriendly. The women found themselves with a week of downtime on their hands. Although they arrived before they were expected, it does seem that the living accommodations for the women were ready. They were directed to a room in the home of a local family near the campus of the school. The women decided to make the most of their situation and explore the local offerings. So the flying garage ship goes to the country of Panama in Central America for this case. Panama is basically a narrow strip of land between the countries of Costa Rica and Colombia. The country is so narrow that the Panama Canal was constructed directly across the country to provide a waterway connecting the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. 
Panama features beautiful beaches, but the majority of the country is extremely mountainous and heavily forested. The town of Bocate is a small town of about 19,000 people, and it's about 40 miles from the Costa Rican border. Bocate is 3,900 feet above sea level and has a tropical climate with heavy rainy seasons that start in April and average temperatures of mid-80s during the day to mid-60s at night. The area is subject to sudden tropical downpours at any time. Bocate is populated by a large number of expat Europeans and North Americans who live there, as well as the native Panamanians. The town is a popular spot for tourists with its friendly European feel, temperate climate, wildlife, and bird viewing, and multiple businesses catering to turistas. On the edge of town is a trailhead at the beginning of a four-kilometer jungle path leading to the Continental Divide. This is a hydrological divide that separates the watersheds that drain into the Pacific Ocean from those that drain into the Atlantic or Caribbean. An invisible line running along the higher points of the continents that often attracts sightseeing interest from adventurers and excursionists. The Bocate area also has an active volcano, Baru, and a national park surrounding it. According to media covering this case, Panama is one of the safest countries in Latin America, although as we will see, it certainly has its share of violent crime. We have quite a bit of information on this case that we normally would not have access to. This thanks to the Daily Beast news site. The Daily Beast managed to obtain secretly leaked copies of the official case files used by investigators. Those archives contained data recovered from the electronic devices the women had with them. This includes a camera and two phones. We also have some DNA analysis, Chris Kramer's diary, and and much more. Now, the day in question, Captain, is Tuesday, April 1st, 2014. And it's a typical hot, sunny day. That's right. And there are some, there's some confusion about what Chris and Lizanne did that day. Mm-hmm. We now know from witnesses' accounts, including a taxi driver who drove them to the trailhead, that Chris and Lizanne started off their hike around 10 a.m. The trail is described as a mud slick, root choked footpath called the Pianista or piano player, because it climbs in a series of ladder-like steps reminiscent of a keyboard. This is up from the tourist town of Bocate to the Continental Divide. Does this have a hiker's rating? Do we know? I don't know what so, the hiker's rating is. Well, sometimes trails will have ratings as like mm-hmm. how, how difficult they are. So at the viewing spot at the top of the Pianista Trail, uh, where the Continental Divide is located, is called the Mirador. And it's about a three-hour trek from the trailhead. It's worth noting that on a clear day from the Mirador, hikers can see all the way back to back down to Bucate. So once reaching the Mirador, Chris and Lizanne likely were able to see the town that they came from in the distance. Right. So most tourists go up to the Mirador, snap a few selfies, then they come straight back down the same path back into town. The tricky thing here, though, Captain, is... We know that Chris and Lizanne actually had lined up a guide for this same hike and a tour of a strawberry farm, but this was scheduled for the following day. Okay. For whatever reason, they decided to change their plans. You know, they booked a guide for the trip, which 
especially if you're in a different country, a foreign country, always book a guide for these excursions. You don't really know what you're getting into until you're out there. But Right, but they booked a guide, and but that's for the following day. Yeah, so they decided to go without the guide on this exact same hike. Right. It is mentioned that the Pianista Trail is not considered to be very dangerous. And given their age, I mean, they're 21, 22 years old. They're they're young. Right. Uh, One's you know. an athlete. Right. And it's likely that the healthy, strong, and adventurous young women felt they were up to the challenging marked trail hike to the top. We do know from computer searches that Chris and Lizanne researched the trail prior to starting off. And we know that the two were what they were wearing that day. So both were wearing shorts and tank tops, hiking boots, and they had one small backpack between them. Is it common for people to go to the trail and get a guide there? That's a good question. And I think you could actually do, the way that I've heard this described is that you could do both. Um, You could book a, a guide in advance or show up. Now, the problem with showing up and booking a guide there you're kind of at their mercy if they're actually there or not. Right. Or how much they want to charge. It's like the people that go to the gym and they haven't scheduled anything with a personal trainer and they're hoping to see one just kind of loafing around (laughs) looking for work. Now, I guess from the trailhead to the top, it's about two and a half to three hours to make that trek. We need to discuss Lizanne's camera. Okay. Because this is going to be extremely important to this case. This is a Canon power shot SX270. This features a zoom lens and a built-in flash. We won't go through the photos in detail just yet because it would it would just get confusing at this point, but we know the women made fairly good time to the Mirador. They took selfies at the top like most people do, and the two in these pictures are smiling. They appear to be enjoying themselves. Right. You know, this you can see they're in the sunshine with the breathtaking view in the background. They're goofing around. Right, so these selfies were taken around midday. So they left Bocate around 11, I'm sorry, 10 a.m. So it makes sense that it would be around 1 p.m. that they reached the summit. This time was determined based on the position of the sun in these photos from the top. To be clear, the Pianista Trail is not a loop, okay? It's the same pathway up and then the same pathway back down. Right. So logic would dictate that after the two women reached the crest at the divide, they would then proceed back down the trail, likely planning to return to town before darkness fell. Right, but based on the pictures later, we're going to see instead of heading back down the trail that they went up, they're actually going to cross over, heading in the opposite direction. Yeah, so they're they're going away from the town of Bukate. And this is curious for several reasons, because we don't know if this happened on accident or if this was deliberate. Right. You know, they could have been out there and said, hey, this is fun. We're, we're having a good time. Let's uh, let's continue on. But so far in these pictures, we only have the two individuals. Yes. And the other thing that's tricky about this move, too, is. When we say, could it have been accidental that they are heading away from where they wanted to go? That's tricky because we know that the girls studied the trail before going out on the hike. Right. And it's, you know, so I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I'm a extremely experienced hiker, but I've been on hikes before and some of them are a loop. 
You know, you just kind of keep going and, and you end up back where you started at some point. Right. But this one is not that situation. It's straight up, straight back. They get to their point and they continued on for some reason, either accidental or deliberately. Yeah, and you wonder how many people were on that trail that day because if if we don't have other individuals in the pictures, it makes it seem, especially on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. makes it seem like maybe there wasn't so many people out and it it's possible you get to the end point and then you go, wait, do we just head back down mm-hmm. or do we just keep going this way and it loops back around? But if there was a bunch of people on the trail, you'd think they could just follow them. Yeah, and it could have been an accident if they didn't know the trail or – you know, I don't know why they wouldn't have seen that in advance, but there are no markers at the top telling people to go back down the way that they came. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're you're sitting there listening and you're wondering, well, how do you guys know that they're going away from the direction that they likely intended to go? Well, that's not our words. That's from the investigators. Later, investigators would view photos that were taken on their camera and they would say, hey, because of the foliage and because of the geographical features visible in these photos, this is not on that same trail. This is on the other side of the divide. And more specifically, they would state that this appears to be about an hour's walk from the top. Yeah, it's just so strange to me that they're going to continue on a trail and not head back. Well, so these photos at this time, they show that the women were making their way downhill into a more heavily forested and wild mountainous region. This is called the Bocas del Toro, uh, or Mouths of the Bull. This network of trails is not maintained by rangers and not used by guides affiliated with the national park. In fact, these treacherous, overgrown, and unmarked trails aren't intended to be used by tourists, but are used almost exclusively by indigenous peoples living deep within the forest and mountain range, particularly the Nobi tribe. These trails can get dangerously steep and overgrown. Yet we know that this is the way that the women uh, went. Uh, And again, was this purely an accident given that there were no markers to tell people to go back down the way they came in? Or was this deliberate, you know, just curiosity or wanting to continue their already fun adventure? Right. Or are they being led this way? Yes. So there are reports that a local dog accompanied the women on their hike. This husky mixed named Blue lived at the home where Chris and Lizanne were staying. Blue returned without the women, but no one thought much of it until the next day, Wednesday, April 2nd. The host at their home laid out breakfast for the girls and she left for work. But then the women failed to keep their appointment with the guide that they had hired. So looking for the women, the guide checked their accommodations and noted that it didn't appear that they had slept there the night before, and he could tell that they also did not show up for breakfast that morning. He notified the teachers at the school, and he and a teacher went to the police station. They actually went twice, once at 7.30 p.m. and then again at 9.30 p.m., reporting the two women missing. The problem was, of course, since they didn't really know anyone, you know, Chris and Lizanne, they didn't know anyone. They didn't tell anyone where they were going. There were dozens of popular trails in the area. So the fire department and private search parties made up of local guides and volunteers, they hunted for the women in the area around the Buru Volcano, since the volcano is the most popular hiking attraction in the region. 
but having no idea where or even exactly when the girls went off, searchers had an almost impossible task of trying to track their movements. Now, rumors in town indicated that the women actually returned from hiking. So we have rumors of eyewitnesses possibly seeing them return from their hike, but we have no evidence of this as far as the photos go. Correct. And actually, this was rumors that were only going on the day that they went missing or the day after. They These were rumors that were quickly uh, disregarded to be not true. And so as a result of these rumors, an official so- uh, search didn't take place for several days for the two women. And this would be five days after the women set off on their hike. Panama's National Service for Civil Protection came in and took over the search for Chris and Lizanne. The agency was initially reluctant to get involved. The belief captain was that the women likely left town to go party somewhere. When, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. So they go hiking on a trail, and they, they decide to not head back. They set, they decide to go on a more of a difficult trail, just keep going further and further into the wilderness, and then they decide to go somewhere to party. Not that exact theory, but um, somewhat. Okay, so more likely their theory is that they made it back from the trip. They came back to town and then and went then off. Took off. Went off and decided, hey, let's go party instead of no, volunteer our time at this uh, right. at this spot. But no eyewitnesses that say they drove them anywhere. No well, keep in mind they actually have nothing to do during this whole time, so they don't really have any other than a place to stay. They don't really have anything to be accounted for. Right, but what I'm saying is you would think that there would be at least a taxi cab driver that said, oh, I picked up two women from the trails and drove them somewhere. Well, that's that's what's leading to the confusion. You have you have these rumors of they returned to town, of people that said, hey, I saw the two women, so on and so forth. So it will take five days after the women set off on their hike for an actual search to get involved. So this starts on April 6th. When they started the official search, the national service for civil protection, they actually called off the small private searches that were going on beforehand. This is typical big government agency moving in and saying, Hey, we're going to take care of this. We're going to handle this ourselves. Right. So this is actually, in my opinion, uh, quite a shame because it's not making use of, local guides uh the you know the searches failed to utilize the expertise of those who knew the area and terrain the best now what it did offer however is they flooded the jungle with hundreds of searchers right scouring the area for any sign of the two missing women now after 10 days of searching using dogs helicopters and ground teams this failed to turn up anything, any leads at all. They they ended the searches after 10 days. So needless to say, Chris and Lizanne's parents, they were frantic. The women both checked in with their parents daily using the WhatsApp, but both their communication stopped on that day, on April 1st. Mm-hmm. The Froons and the Kramers quickly mobilized to establish a reward, which quickly grew to $30,000. They flooded Panama with a missing in Panama poster featuring both girls. Both sets of parents flew to Bucate in early April to look for their daughters. 
and a Dutch search group arrived to scour the trails joined by Red Cross volunteers. In early May, a specially trained Dutch search team arrived and brought in 10 rescue and cadaver dogs, but efforts were hampered by heavy rains and relentless heat. And after nine days, the team went home empty-handed, as did the parents. Dutch investigators looking into the situation declared that it was very unlikely that Chris and Lizanne simply disappeared from one of the trails, since no trace of them was located. Investigators came under fire for what many saw as a botched search. Critics and authorities should have utilized satellite thermal imaging. The blame game was in full force, and it's not clear whether authorities did anything wrong or if the searchers and the searches were just off their mark. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. 
I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain. All right, we're going to get into some weird stuff now, Captain, because in June of 2014, this is roughly about two months after the two women disappeared, a Nobi tribe woman walked into the Bukate police station with Lizanne's turquoise backpack. The woman claimed to have found the pack while she was tending to her rice paddy about 12 hours by foot on the other side of the Continental Divide, on the banks of the powerful river locals call the Calibra. So the pack was wedged into a mess of flotsam on the bank. The Nobi woman said she was really sure that that it was not there the day before. Okay. Now, local authorities who took control of the backpack made no fingerprint records in the case. So when examiners from the Dutch Forensic Institute later, they discovered... 30 unidentified fingerprints on the contents of the backpack. But there was no way to figure out who these fingerprints belonged to. Right. 
It seems likely, though, that members of the tribe probably went through the backpack before they turned it over to the police, you know, curious about what could be inside. My understanding is that the woman that turned it in, she had actually heard of the case and thought that it could be evidence regarding the two missing women. The interesting thing to me, though, is we're talking two months later in the jungle. We're talking about it's found on the banks of this powerful Calibra River. Right. And it doesn't look that distraught to me. Right. It it seems to be, I would, I know we're just looking at pictures, but I would argue it almost seems to be like pristine condition. Right. Well cared for. Almost like it hadn't been in the jungle that entire time at all. And the, there's contents in the backpack. Do you want to go through that real quick? Yeah, and we should point out before we get into what was in the backpack or found in the backpack that these items were not considered to be water damaged and neither was the backpack. Right. So here's what was found in the backpack. And there are some photos um, that are still available online of the contents of the backpack. The list that I found that seems to be the most accurate states that there were two pairs of sunglasses, two cell phones, Lizanne's camera, which was inside its padded case, Lizanne's passport, $83 in cash. And I want to be clear about the cash statement, the the dollar amount. That's by most uh, early reports. Okay. So you will find reports out there that will state a different dollar amount. Other early reports state that a key was found in the backpack as well. But later reports do not mention this key. Now, keep in mind, a key is awfully small. The pictures that I found online, I couldn't see, I couldn't visibly see a key. Uh, And there were two bras in the backpack and an empty bottle of water or a half-empty bottle of water, depending on which report you read. Well, now, if you look at this, the bra on the lower half of the picture right here, Okay, so do you notice that in one of the pictures of the girls, doesn't it look like that's the brawl she is wearing the day of the hike? Right. Okay, and I'm I'm trying to look for another picture to see. Okay, so do you want to get into the brawl, the the bras now? Sure. The the reason why I ask if you want to do that now, that was something that is is often discussed online. And the the thing that you point out there is interesting because the bras that were found in the backpack, you know, they, they were likely wearing both of these the day that they went out on their hike. Right. And it's obvious that one of them that was found was being wore by Lizanne that day. So, you know, there has been a lot of speculation as to why they would take them off, why they would, would place them in the backpack. It's likely that it's just as something as simple as they got hot right? and they place them in the backpack. I think to me, though, what what's interesting about the contents of the backpack is, you know, we're left wondering what happened to these women. Right. Does finding this backpack offer any clues? Well, we're going to get into the cell phones and the camera eventually. But before we do that, just the finding of the backpack itself, it doesn't appear to me, obviously, that they were that something terrible took place because they were robbed or intended to be robbed. You know, and I say that because I think all of the items found inside this backpack to me would be items that an intended robber would want to take from these two women. Right. Then it makes you wonder 
did they put down the book bag somewhere? And why? Were they leaving that behind for maybe somebody to find? Or did they put it down because they were going to go swimming? What's going on with this book bag? Or did they pass away and it was simply left behind? Right. But again, if you think there was something tragic that happened, it doesn't look like this book bag went through anything, any tragic scene. You know what I mean? Like, So this backpack's found two months later. And I think one of the more interesting theories that I found online regarding the brawl or the brawls was that they could have been removed to possibly filter water. I would have never have thought of that on my own, but I found that that very interesting. Right. The more important thing, though, here, Captain, I believe would be the location where the backpack was found, because this is a long way from the Mirador, where the we know the girls were alive and well, according to the early pictures. So to get to where the backpack was found, the women would have crossed treacherous terrain, navigating overgrown pathways and crossing three steep, deep river gorges. They have these things out there called monkey bridges. So it's known that had they passed these three river gorges, they would have used these monkey bridges. Okay. So they would have had to have walked for hours and hours deeper and deeper into the jungle. If they were the ones that brought the backpack to where it was later found. But then again, keep in mind, we also have the tribal woman who's saying, I'm convinced that backpack wasn't there the day before. I found it today and I'm bringing it to you, to the police today right. and reporting this as being found along the banks of the Calibra. Is it possible that an animal would pick up this book bag and move it? I think it would be possible. The The problem I have with that theory is the condition of the backpack itself. Right. And... The, I think what's most likely is that possibly the river carried the backpack to this location because it was found in, amongst debris that would have been thought to have been carried by the river. Well, and again, we might just be way off on our assessment of the damage to this book, book bag. Right, because we're only seeing pictures. But... The thing that's tricky about the river taking it there, too, I, I would expect a certain amount of damage to the backpack in that situation as well. But to be clear, the only statement that we have that this backpack was found where it's reported to have been found is by the woman that turned it into the police department, into the police station. Other than her word, we have nothing else to go on. It could have actually been found or located anywhere for all we know. Now, by the end of June, they did find some remains, and then eventually using DNA testing, this showed that these remains did belong to Chris and Lizanne. Within two months, native searchers retrieved a total of 33 skeletal fragments and one larger piece of well-preserved skin. All were linked to the missing women using DNA testing. This sounds like a lot of bones, but this was not skulls and intact femurs lying around. Right. 28 of the recovered bones were small metatarsals from Lizanne's left foot, which was found still in its tied hiking boot and sock behind a tree near the river. When the foot was removed from the boot, a Dutch medical examiner determined that the bones were broken. The largest bones found were a part of Lizanne's left femur bone and left tibia and Chris's partial pelvis bone. 
One of Chris's rib bones, the uh, number 10 rib, was also found. No larger bones were ever located. And the bones that were found, uh, they were found out in the open, with the exception of Lizanne's boot. All right, so when you find these bones, they're they're all broken. We don't have a bone that's not broken. Pretty much. They're they're fragments. The only exception may be the the rib bone. And what else have they found as far as evidence? Well, eventually they would find one of Chris's blue boots. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is found empty. Now, initial reports were that the the Nobi tribe also found Chris's cut-off denim shorts. There seems to be no agreement as to where and how these shorts were found. The Nobi says that they were buttoned and zipped and folded and placed on a rock next to the river, high above the water line. Yeah. One guide involved in the search denies this, saying that searchers found the shorts clearly washed up in the river. He's still in the river, right. trapped in some floating debris. The problem with the with the natives and the volunteers finding the bones and these personal items, of course, is that we don't know for sure where they were actually found, only a general area, because they're located and then, then brought to the attention of others. Right. But it is interesting that the backpack remains and the clothes and the shoes were found. They, they all seem to be have been found along the river within right. just and a few kilometers of each other. Well, it seems almost as if the book bag was organized some way. And then with these shorts being folded or the claim that they were folded, you, you start thinking, well, were they purposely put down there for a reason? But then again, we have the other witness saying they were actually in the river. Right. Now, all of these items being found along the river, they are all within a few kilometers of each other. It's estimated that about six hours worth of walking distance would be between the backpack and the other items. Despite the scattered nature of the findings, everyone agrees that the general area where the women's last known resting place was about 2,300 feet above sea level in the upper cloud forest near the headwaters of the Calibra. This is nowhere near where anyone would expect Chris and Lizanne to have gone. So let's circle yeah, back but nobody here. Nobody would expect them to keep heading off the trail. Right. So let's circle back here, Captain, and kind of sum up what we've gone through here. Cause there's a lot yeah, of, a lot, lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff going on. So we have Chris and Lizanne there in their early twenties, 21, 21, 22. 22 yeah. They travel to Panama, and they're actually in Panama for a little bit of time, uh, about two weeks before they're supposed to go and volunteer their time at this town of Bucate. Right, and again, I don't know if there's any importance to this, but they're supposed to start teaching a week earlier. Yeah, so they show up expecting to teach, and they're like, hey, you're here a week early, but we have your accommodations. You can sleep here, and you can eat here while you wait out this week before you volunteer your time. The thing that's tricky here, man, is that we know the outcome. We don't know everything that happened out there, and we're going to dive into some more things that might point to what could have happened right. to the women or, or, or who came across them or whatever. But the thing here is they had a whole week of nothing to do. Had this not occurred, maybe none of this would have happened at all. We have we have two young women with a week to kill, and they decide to go out on this this hiking trip, 
which as we discussed is not considered to be that challenging of a hike. Right. The only problem is there seems to be one big problem. You hike up to the top of this summit, you turn around and you come back down. It seems to me if you don't turn around and you continue on the other side, we're talking about a much different hike, a yeah. much more challenging hike. And the, and could this be as simple as that? You get up to the top, you have two individuals, let's say there's nobody, there's no guide. You got two individuals and one saying, "Ah, I think I remember the website said keep going." Mm-hmm. And the other girl says, "No, no, I think we're just supposed to turn around." And then they just go, "Oh, you're probably right." And they just keep going. And is that the mistake? But even even then, I think you're looking at a couple hours of going in the next direction, three hours. At some point, you're going to be going, we went the wrong direction. We need to turn back. But even if you go three hours in the wrong direction, you're only about six hours from being home or being at the starting point. And actually, you know what's what's difficult with this case is what we just stated about there was no official, quote-unquote, official search for these two women until about five days after it's believed that they, that we know that they went out on this hike. Right. And the reason for that is simply these rumors. And you got to factor in several other things. Okay. Had that guide not shown up the next day and said, Hey, I'm supposed to take these women on a hike. Where are they? Oh, I'm going to go to their accommodations. Well, it doesn't look like they slept here. Oh, they set out breakfast for them this morning. They're not here. They didn't eat breakfast. Right. So now I'm wondering where the hell these girls are. So he gets in touch with the school. They go out and they start looking. Had he not come forward, who knows how long it would have been until there was some kind of search initiated for these two women. And it's very likely that given that they weren't going to the volcano, they weren't searching in the proper area on that second day that they were gone. By the time the official search starts five days later, the problem I think we have here, Captain, is these two, they're they're going to be referred to in town as the slang term would be the Dutch women. Right. We have two Dutch women that went missing. Well, I think that the problem we have here is they're not from this area. If, if it's only two days that they've been missing, what pictures are you going to walk around town with going, hey, have you seen these women? Have you seen these women? No, what you're going to hear from the locals is, yeah, I saw two Dutch women yesterday. Yeah, I saw two Dutch women two days ago. I gave them a a ride to over here. What were their names? Oh, I don't know. Right, but they're Dutch. Right. So what I'm getting at is that's what's going to be difficult about initiating this official search. And then once the official search happens, they find nothing. They find nothing for it's like 25 days of heavy searching. Right. And a lot of people, including their parents, right? Including Dutch searchers, right? Dogs, helicopters, everything you can think of was used in this 25 day time period. They come up empty handed. They find nothing. And it's not until two months later that this backpack is discovered, turned into you from a Nobi tribe woman. That seems to magically disappeared out of nowhere. I mean, even based on what she states. Yes. Exactly. And it wasn't until that backpack is found that the backpack actually inspires additional searches 
which ends up finding these remains, these fragmented remains of the two women. So unfortunately, we learn much later on in this story that Lizanne and Chris, they're no longer with us. Not only did they disappear out on the trail sometime that day, we don't know how they died. Right. And we don't know what the hell happened to them over the course of this time. And, and, and furthermore, how long were they alive during the course of them being missing? Well, it looks like we have some kind of broken foot, broken ankle, which then leads to the severed foot and the shoe. Right. And then then we have a rib bone. Right. And that those are the main two points that we know neither one of these girls are, are alive. Yeah, and so I think here, one, we're going to have to use the bones to try to figure out what possibly could have happened, and that's very likely that we have a broken foot, broken ankle situation with the one. But regarding the contents and regarding the backpack itself, again, I keep coming back to that because it's tricky because we have we have a couple of situations that we can kind of put together in our heads here, right? The water bottle. Does that suggest that, that they were two things? The early reports state that it was half full. Right. Later reports state that it was an empty water bottle. If I'm lost in the jungle, I'm I'm making a point to save that water bottle, well, whether I'd, it's full or empty. And I'd wonder if that water was tested. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, because, it, you know, is it rainwater? Is it from a river? Is Are it, they drinking from a river? Are they filling up that water bottle with water from river water that could in turn make them sick? Right. And make, make their already dire situation more dire. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that water was tested. My guess would be, I don't have a clue because I don't understand why we have different varying accounts of there was water in the bottle. There was no water in the bottle. Right. But it seems like every case we cover, there's something. I mean, that's very important thing. I mean, if we knew that that was just bottled water, well, then you would think that, yeah, even though that they didn't find that stuff for months, but you would think that if whatever happened to them happened Quickly. Right. Happened quickly. They they didn't find themselves in a situation where they were just camped somewhere going through water. And again, the other the other thing too is the the valuables that were found in that backpack indicates that they weren't they didn't come across somebody that was like, Hey, give me all your stuff and ended up attacking them for their valuables. Well, maybe. Unless unless the perpetrator then discarded the backpack he said the, you you have all this stuff and i need a bag to carry it so give me the book bag you'd think that individual would take the cash at the very least right but maybe that person put down that bag for whatever reason and somebody saw it grabbed it and it's gone they, they when they came back for the bag it's gone and then if that if that situation is not what played out then we have a situation too of their sunglasses, cell phones, camera, passport. It's almost like whatever happened to the two women out there, that they were at least rational enough before whatever went down, that they were storing their valuables in their backpack for safekeeping or safe travels. Well, they're taking a lot of pictures, but, uh, but again, I, I don't see any evidence. The other thing I'm looking for in some of these pictures is – most of the time, it's one of the girls taking a picture of the other girl. 
every now and then there's a selfie, but what I'm trying to see is if somebody's making a reaction or kind of looking at somebody that's off camera that might not be the one taking the picture. Right. I've been trying to see if I, I, I haven't been able to see anything. Maybe if you can see something, go to our website and hit us up on the blog. Yeah. So th- there's, there's some issues with these pictures, uh, but regarding the, the items found, like I said, estimated six hours walking distance between the backpack and the other items. From what I could find, Captain, it seems like everyone agrees that the the general area is quite far from where it would be expected that the two women would have gone. We do have a a Dutch medical examiner uh, expert who examined the bone fragments and states that they weren't able to determine the, the cause of death of either of the two women. Now, mind you, to be clear, like we said earlier, it's just fragments of most of these bones, 33 bones. Yeah, fragments or not, that's still a lot. They're not able to determine the cause of death for either of the two women. So let's talk about the two phones found in Lizanne's backpack. Right. One was Chris's iPhone 4. The other was Lizanne's uh, Samsung Galaxy S3. The logical question is, obviously, if the women had phones on them, why on earth would they not have called for help or texted someone their coordinates? or use the compass app to navigate their way back to the town. Right. The short answer is this is because there's no cell service in the jungle, but with the phones later being found, investigators were able to reconstruct some attempted calls made by Chris and Lizanne. What we can see on the call logs is chilling. The log from Chris's phone shows the first call to 112 or 112, which is the equivalent of 911 in the Netherlands, came at 4.39 p.m. on April 1st. This is the day that the women hiked the Pinesta. So let's say, let's say this is maybe 30 minutes or an hour after they should have returned safely to town. Okay. Um, so here's the thing. At this time of year in Panama, there's roughly about 12 hours daily of nighttime. Okay, so by 4.39 p.m., it would have likely started to possibly get a little darker within the forest where we believe the women to be at this time. Um, It seems likely that by this time, the two knew that they should have been able to make their way back to town by now and realize that they needed help. All right, so... Again, we could then maybe assume that they just, somebody got it wrong and they kept going. So that now somebody tries to make an attempt to 112. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, this call does not go through to anyone. Mm-hmm. Another call to 112 was attempted on Lizanne's Samsung at 4.51 p.m. Just 12 minutes later, again, this call is unsuccessful. We can see from the phone records that at the time these calls were attempted, Chris's iPhone battery was half charged and uh, Lizanne's Samsung battery was about half charged as well. We can only imagine what the first night in the jungle would be like for these two young women. It appears unlikely that the two were equipped with any kind of survival or camping gear or even extra clothing. Right. 
Now, temperatures would drop to the 50s uh, at night in the cloud forest at that elevation. With the women in just tank tops, you have to wonder, is is something like hypothermia a, a concern? The other tricky thing, too, is I'd, we... I'd say maybe if it's lower, but, I mean, 50 degrees isn't that that cold. Well, I'm I'm factoring in the possibility of these pop-up rainstorms that we talked about that the area... True, good point. Yeah. you know, frequently has the other thing too, which we haven't even got to yet is the strange creatures and animals in the jungle. They have there, they have howler monkeys. You know, we we're in Ohio. We don't have any monkeys <laughs> that right. uh, we're not supposed to. Anyway, I remember when there was a monkey loose in Minerva park a couple years ago. Yeah. Crazy. Marcel It's actually not a monkey at all. Um, that's like three times in my lifetime that there's been, a monkey on the loose in some kind of neighborhood. And then turns out there was never a there monkey was never. There. <laughs> after, after further investigation. Oh, we looked into it more. We, we find no monkey business going on. So this jungle has monkeys, poisonous snakes, insects, and you have to imagine, you know, it's going to be pitch black out there at night. These two must have been genuinely terrified would right. be my guess. Well, they waited until 6.58 a.m. the next morning, April 2nd. This is when we would see another 112 call from Lizanne's phone. At 10.53 a.m., she made another attempt, this time trying 911 well, at, there's a, as well as 112. Yeah, and Chris tries to make an attempt in, in between that at 8.14. And again, she did the same at 1.56 p.m. So with this last call, the phone log shows that the cell was able to make contact with the GMS network, right. but still no call came in to emergency lines. Chris also tried 112 that day, like you said, at 8.14 a.m. And strangely, uh, most likely accidentally, took a screenshot uh, with her phone. Okay. At 4.13 p.m. on Thursday, April 3rd, this, the, the next day, there was an earthquake in the region. Some reports have it as being moderately strong, about a six on the scale. Is it possible that the earthquake caused one or both of them to fall? Is one thing you got to wonder about, causing a disastrous injury or right, injuries? Or fall on them. Yes. Could they have been killed by, like, in a mudslide? Yeah. Or injured in a mudslide. Uh, or were they already incapacitated for whatever reason by this point? Either way, by this time, Chris and Lizanne were likely getting desperate. They were no doubt starving, dehydrated, possibly ill from drinking tainted river water, like we pointed out, possibly injured. Their phones were also probably on low battery by this point. We know from the logs, and this is incredibly smart that the women were, were smart enough to turn their phones off between call attempts, you know, to preserve, likely to preserve the battery life of their phones. The last call attempt was made on April 3rd at 9.32 a.m. to 911 from Chris's iPhone. After this, we only have records of signal checks where the women would turn or one of the women would turn the phones on to see if there was service. But by most reports, no further calls were attempted. 
There were many of these checks in total from both phones on the 4th or 5th of April. There is some discrepancy, though, and we have Lizanne's Samsung. It finally ran out of battery, so her phone is dead and would record no more information. Signal checks continue to occur on Chris's iPhone on April 4th at 10.16 and 1.42, and April 5th at 10.50 and 1.37, and on April 6th at 10.26 and 1.37. Right. Do you know, Do you, are you, is that kind of resonating here? So we have the 4th, the 5th, and the 6th. All of these attempts are occurring within the same hours, right? In the 10 o'clock hour, and then again in the 1 o'clock hour. Right. And that continues for three straight days. But, but yeah, so then you question, is it just the phone doing it automatically or are they doing it? That's interesting. But then also it says 11 uh, down here where it says 11, seven, 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 signal checks. Is that like somebody putting in something to check a signal? That's kind of confusing to me. Well, like, I, here's what I think that means. And I, I can't say that I know that for certain. My my guess is that they're simply turning on the phone to see if the, they have any bars. Right. Right. That, that may Do I happen to have service now? And right. Then, but, but then, also, oh, I don't have service, so I'm going to power off the phone. But this is also like you don't know how. Look, I don't know how old these phones were, too, at the time. But I have had issues. Well, with it's my, an it's an iPhone four and a Samsung Galaxy S three. Right, but what I'm saying is, is the iPhone five out now? Is this an old older phone? And what I mean by that is that I've had phones that uh, the battery is dead, quote unquote. It's the stop phone shuts off. Right, and like an hour later, something will just pop on, and then die again, and then pop back on and die again. And I've had, I've just had these weird things. Anybody that has had an iPhone uh, five or six has experienced this problem. So, if their battery goes dead a lot, one thing that's crazy here, and I don't know what we can surmise from this, but we have the afternoon check, phone check on April fifth, and then the two phone checks on April sixth. Chris's phone was switched on, but no pin was entered. So then there's a break in the phone usage until Friday, April 11th, when again the phone was switched on with no pin entered. This was the last usage of Chris's iPhone, which switched off or died on April 11th at 11.56 a.m. Now, a few reports say that emergency calls were attempted from the iPhone many more times in these few days, um, no pin needed, but that has not been verified. Yeah, very strange stuff with this, these phone records. And you have to wonder, man, what does this all mean? You know, we, we can see from the signal checks that at least one of the women continued to power on Chris's phone at the same time, roughly the same time each day, around 10.37 a.m. and 1.35 to 1.40 each afternoon, likely to check for a signal. This occurred until up until... April 6th. Right. So five days. Right. And we can see, here's the thing that I wonder about. We can see in another photo of the women before they set off hiking that one of them is wearing a watch. So is it possible that whoever it was 
was relying on that, on the watch for time. Right. Maybe even setting an alarm to check a signal at these times every day for three days. But yeah, good possibility. But why? I, I, I'm. What's lost on me is why is that the choice of time of day? Yeah, unless they don't have their phones and somebody else is checking. Right. So, I mean, could something? Could something as simple as they thought they heard other people in the area the first day they were lost at that time that they thought, well, maybe we'll try our phones for whatever reason. Right. And then they thought, well, maybe is this the most busy time of the hiking area? And so we'll try when we think there are other people around. I, I don't know the, the reasoning behind it, but there seems to be some reasoning behind it because they continue to follow that same behavior that pattern of behavior for three days like i said or it's a possibility that the phone is doing some kind of random check around that time so the other thing too is we have chris's phone that's turned on for several days but then no pin is entered so this makes it seem likely that someone other than chris may have been using the phone yeah, but it could be could have been using an app as far as like a flashlight app or something. Well, that that could be a possibility. I wonder if the phone would log that information. Yeah, I would think that it would. But but, but also you would think that there would be some pictures on these phones and I couldn't find really much mention of that. Well, but, but what I'm saying here is though we seem to have a decent log of information about what the phone was doing or, or what people were doing with the phone. And if it would log that information as to what utilities or what apps were attempted to be used at, during these times, I think we would have that information. So yeah. without that thought that you're using it to attempt to use utilities or uh, some some app, you have to wonder what possibilities are left. If it's not Chris using that phone because there's no pin entered, did Chris, was she injured and finally became unconscious or, or passed away and right. then left only Lee's Ann with the, with both phones and she didn't know Chris's pin and was still attempting to use it. Or, you know, could you have a combination of both? Do you have a situation where, where Chris might be, injured and un unable to remember how to use her phone or unable to remember her pin due to the stress that she's occurred in the, in the days that she's been missing. Yeah. Or did some piece of shit do something to him and he's just staring at their phone and it doesn't know how to use it. Doesn't know really what to do with it. My thought though, is what we're seeing early on is the use of the pin. And we're seeing that the, the women or one of them is at least smart enough to power off the phones to preserve the battery life of both of the phones. And so what I'm wondering is if at some point did somebody go, Hey, I'm going to preserve this battery life even further because I know on the iPhone, I'm not familiar with Samsung, but I know on the iPhone, you can make an emergency call without even putting in the pin. So therefore you're, you're saving yourself some steps possibly saving yourself as much batter, battery life as you possibly can. Right. And so I wonder if they just decided on a shortcut after a while. The scariest thing to me, though, is regardless of, 
of how that's being operated or why it's being operated in that manner. We have the situation where the phone is being powered on, a signal is being checked for, emergency calls are being attempted up until April 6th. Well, then what what happened? Did Did one or both of the girls, have they expired by the end of April 6th? Because the phone is not used then for five more days. I don't, if they are lost or injured and they are conscious, even just one of them, the behavior, the pattern of behavior is them constantly trying the phones or using the phones in an attempt to get rescue, rescue efforts to themselves. Then why for five days did no one use the phone? I'm wondering, did someone else turn the phone on on April 11th? Yeah, possibly. Or again, it's just some kind of glitch. Like they checked the phone multiple times, tried to turn it on, and it was just not turning on. And then for whatever reason, the phone turned on on the 11th. Any chance you think that it could have uh, occurred or took on water damage and then dried out? Very possible. For some reason, five days later, and then it was operable again? Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for telling a friend. We'll see you in the garage tomorrow. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel.